Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are back in Galatians chapter 5 this week. Galatians chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there with me, although we'll only be looking at one specific word uh, in, that, uh, in that passage as well. We are, um, we are looking here in Galatians 5 at what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians about what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, he says that the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A list that I'm hoping that you're starting to hear repeated so much that maybe you're starting to even remember it on your own. Next week, maybe we'll teach you the song. Um, there's a good song that's connected to it as well. So, um, But uh, we are in our fourth uh, um, yes, our four, fifth week, fourth of the uh, of the fruits, patience. So, one of the fundamental rules for those of you who have never preached before, okay, one of the fundamental rules of preaching is that uh, the faithful preacher never preaches himself. We preach Christ, always Christ. We preach the work of Christ, his grace, his merit, his victory, his death, his resurrection. It's the only way that we can preach without being a hypocrite because no one by their own merit deserves to be up here opening the word of God and admonishing and teaching the church. We can only preach Christ and him crucified and that only by his grace. I'm particularly thankful that it is Christ we preach and not ourselves this morning as we move to this next fruit of the Spirit. Patience. I am an Enneagram 8, an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs. A D on the DISC profile command is one of my top uh, results in strength finders. My natural bent is to protect to defend, to lead, and to die bravely on the battlefield, right? That's, that's, how, I'm, that's how I'm wired. That's who I am. And, and although I hope those attributes have our blessing to the church in a particular way, they don't all necessarily naturally lead to patience in all things. Uh, it's, patience is something I've had to pray for, work towards, be very intentional of in my own life. And I would say that I've seen victories in this and growth in this, and I'm much better than I used to be. Although my kids would be like, really? Is that true? Um, that's why we don't give my kids the microphone. Um, <laughs> that, uh, uh, so it, it, this is something that I preach to you as very much a student, not as a master of this personally elusive thing that is oftentimes patience. Besides, this is sort of a weird word to have in this list anyway, right? If there, are, if there are nine words that you could come up with that the creator of the universe is going to send his very spirit to dwell inside of you, to bring out these things out of you, and you had to make that list without seeing it here. Love, I, can, I get that, right? Yes, love is the foundation of all of the things that we do that blesses other people. God himself is love. Joy, yes, knowing God in this particular way and, the, and the, the joy of the gospel. Get that, love, joy, peace, as JD talked to us about it last week. Shalom, wholeness, blessing of others. Yeah, I get it. But patience, 
I mean, why is God concerned if we are at a stoplight and it turns green and the person in front of us is looking at their phone and not going, and you know that if they don't go, that you are going to miss that that light and you're going to get stuck again uh, as well. And so you hunk at them. Like, well, why does God care about that in light of love and joy and all of the other things that we have? Or, or when your child just won't go to bed. We're out of this stage now. Our kids won't get out of bed. Um, but, the, uh, but, but I remember it well, right? When you're just saying, no, you don't need more water. No, you can't stay up. No, you didn't hear anything in your room. Just go to bed because we're trying to watch Ted Lasso and you need to go to sleep, right? Like the, 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 that, that fire that begins to burn. Why, does, why is that important on a cosmic scale? Why does God worry about this? Well, to answer these questions, we need to look into what is patience, and therefore, why is it in this list? There are two ways that the scripture describes patience can be used, some different words used to describe it, but patience is calmness and endurance. Calmness while waiting for something, and endurance in the face of hardship or oppression. It's often used with how we should be patient with others and how we should be patient when we are suffering in difficult times. It's sort of, in a way, uh, a short-term and a long-term patience. Of, uh, and, and so how we deal with the small irritations of our lives, but also how we face oppression and suffering well. And honestly, the one has a lot to do with the other. The Greek word that is translated patience in our Bibles is macrothumia, which means it's a combination of two words, macro meaning long and thumia meaning temper. So long temper. And so it deals with specifically, it points to the idea that our anger should take a long time to build up before it is expressed. And then when it is expressed, it is expressed properly and appropriately and under control. It's anger at the right things in the right way at the right time. And when we talk about this, this isn't just a warning for people with an explosive temper. Our introverted friends out here who wouldn't necessarily express their anger still oftentimes have it. You just go home and weep by yourself. Um, But that's still anger. And it's still, it's still, uh, the scripture still is dealing with How do we appropriately deal with our own anger as well at the things of the world and what makes us angry? So patience is anger in an appropriate proportion. So sometimes that means not at all. Some of the things that make us mad, make us angry, shouldn't make us mad or angry at all. So, and then other things maybe need to make us a little angry or make us angry over time. And then there are things as well, which we'll talk about in a minute, that should make us angry uh, uh, in in appropriate measure as well. And so patience being an appropriate proportion of anger, where do we understand how to know what that proportionate anger is? Well, it comes truly from a proper perspective. So let let me explain what I mean by that. Appropriate anger comes from a, a proper perspective. So patience, first of all, comes from a proper perspective on God's attitude or posture towards us. 
if you remember, when we talked about love uh, as, the, as the first fruit of the Spirit, one of the ways that we traced through Scripture as how Scripture itself describes God is that over and over again, it says He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So He is, he is exuberant in His love, and it's steadfast, and, it's, and it is overflowing. But the first part of that phrase is that He is slow to anger. God is patient. God is patient. Second Peter chapter three actually says this very clearly. God is patient with you. God is patient with you. And this is great news because if he's patient with you, that means he has not lost his temper and is done with you. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on me. He hasn't given up on us in our marriages, in, in our workplaces, in, in school, and in all of the places where we lose our temper, and all of the places where we are inappropriately childlike, in the place where we, where we deal with things inappropriately, in our sin, in our malice. He is patient with us. In, in our chasing after things that are not of Him, He is patient with us. This is a primary point of the scripture. God is patient with his people. In fact, thousands of years of patience have led to billions of people being saved because of his patience, his grace of longing for people to come to know him and not divvying out divine judgment. He has he has withheld that in order to bestow grace and to give opportunity for people to know that grace. Our gospel is divine patience. And if the fruits of the Spirit are the are images of Christ, are, are attributes of Christ, that as we belong to Christ should begin to more and more come out of us, we can see that Christ is patient. And so, all of the things that frustrate us when we react with a lack of patience, how much more does God have patience, or excuse me, does God have the right to be patient with us? So all the times and the little things that we get frustrated about, and we think that we have the right um, to, uh, to, to lash out in anger in some way or another, whether it's to ourselves or to others, how much more does God have that right for us and yet he does not? Right? So, so our perspective should be, if, if patience comes from a proper perspective, the first part of our perspective should be, how, if God is this patient with us, how do I mirror that in my life? How am I Christ-like in my life? How do I show others that God is patient because I represent him as one of his people, and so I am patient with other people? Patience also comes from a proper perspective of time. I came across this quote when I was preparing for this sermon. A patient person is aware of the shortness of time and the length of eternity. You see, we live in light of eternity as Christians. We know the story that God created, that we fell, that he has redeemed us, and that he is going to come again to make all things new. And so we live each of our everyday moments in that grand story, knowing the joy that awaits us and that Christ is going to come to make all things new. And if that is a daily reality for us, then, then we don't live to satiate our own frustration in the moment 
but rather we put everything in the perspective of the grand stream of redemptive history. Is what we are struggling with or frustrated about now, is it, is it worth comparing to the glory that has been given to us that the God has had divine grace and patience with us and he's going to make all things new? So here's, a, here's an example. Uh, actually, J.D. and I were going out to lunch one day, um, maybe a month or so ago. And, uh, and so I was driving through the parking lot. And uh, as I was driving through the parking lot, this, this lady in this car uh, started to back out and was going to back into me. I was going the appropriate speed. I was doing everything. I was on the right side. Like I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do. She started coming out. She wasn't looking. You could see her in the window. She wasn't looking at anything uh, and was about to back into me. So I just gave her, I just gave her the little horns. You know what I mean, right? There's, there's horn language, right? You, you, um, and, and so some things deserve like a really big horn and that says one thing. But I just gave her like the little, boop, you know, just a little like, you, boop, you're going to back into me kind of, hey, it's okay, but just want to let you know I'm back here. So her window's down and she is leaning out of her window, yelling at me with her fist out in the air, screaming at me, calling me names. I didn't do anything. Right, like I was, I was driving where I was supposed to be driving in the, the, the lane I was supposed to be. She almost backed up and caused thousands of dollars of damage to her car and my car. And I just gave her the boop, boop, don't waste thousands of dollars and a lot of time, right? That's all I, like I blessed her. I served her and she was yelling at me and cursing at me and calling me names. So, here I am in my truck, right? And there's two parts of me because there's two parts of all of us. There's the, there's the old man and the new man, right? The old man that has lived by the flesh and the new man that Christ has redeemed. And we live in that place where those two men hang out together sometimes. <laughs> and so the, the fleshly part of me wanted to park open up the door and go gently explain to her the injustice of the situation here where, where she was going to back into me, right? Like if anybody should be angry, it should be me, not her. And, and to have this conversation with her, which I'm sure would have turned out extremely well. Um, and, uh, and I would have been justified in all things, right? There was another part of me in that same old fleshy sort of place where I wanted to give back to her what she was giving to me, right? Like, oh, you're going to say that to me? Well, here's what you deserve because this wasn't even my fault, right? And there was part of me that wanted to, in fact, sort of sacramentally point her gaze towards heaven, right? Um, is, uh, is the way that we'll, we'll say that. Um, and, uh, and, and so I have a choice. Like the new man in me is going, what would Christ do here? I'm like, he'd He'd flip her car over. That's what he'd do, right? No, no, he probably wouldn't. He probably wouldn't do that. So, so this one was a victory for me. This one was a, okay, maybe she's got something else going on. Maybe whatever else that it is, I don't need to be churned up by this. And I kept driving and said a prayer for her, right? That was a victory. I, it might not go so well the next time, right? But that one was good, right? The, the new man won out in that one. And all of these things, that happen to us like this, when we do decide to lash out, what does that do? In the end, what does it do? Right? A short-term perspective, uh, a perspective of works of the flesh, as Paul would say here in Galatians chapter 5. Do we actually feel better with any of that? Like if, if, if we are honest, none of us get home in the evening and your spouse asks you, hey, how's 
how'd your day go? And you're like, oh, it was awesome. I got to, uh, I got to roll my eyes at a lot of people today. Um, I was, I was extremely short with the, uh, with the, with the good Christian teenager who's working at Chick-fil-A, um, you know, and uh, because the line was long and that was frustrating. And so I let her know about how I felt about that. And, uh, and she was really blessed by uh, everything that I had to say. But it was just a wonderful day. Uh, it was really good. None of those things actually help. Like when you, if you do pop off at somebody, don't you just leave there feeling worse? Except for then your pride kicks in and then you're like, no, 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 actually I do feel better. No, you don't, right? Because these are works of the flesh. These are living into that moment and they tear rather than heal. And Christ is about healing and we as his people should be about healing. These little things that we do that show our frustration or our impatience um, are bad enough, but even worse if we lose our patience and move to in a place that is particularly physically, emotionally, or verbally abusive. There is no justification for you. You cannot abuse other people and think that it is somehow your right because they have made you impatient. This brings about divine wrath from God himself and me if I catch it too. An eternal perspective sees the joy of the gospel as overshadowing our trivial irritation. The joy of the gospel is so great that we can endure little things. We see the shortness of time and the breadth of eternity. And the more that the truth of the gospel is our primary lens, we begin to react out of Christ-likeness rather than by the flesh. Love, joy, peace lead to forgiveness and bearing with one another in patience. And, and cultivating patience in these small things has greater value because a proper response in the minuscule and the temporary and the immediate prepares us to be patient in the big things as well. Uh, so, so there was some irony when I was writing this sermon. I'd, I'd finished it, but I was kind of rearranging some things and putting some uh, finishing touches on it and such. And Eli was working on the couch next to me uh, and he was finishing up a psychology paper and he was working in Word. And Word can test your patience, right? Because it tries to help you. And so it helps you by reformatting things and putting spaces where they're not supposed to be. And he's trying to get this printed out, but it kept breaking one section into another page. And he kept making this really awesome noise. It sounded like, erg. That's what it sounded like. Um, and, uh, and so there was just frustration boiling up next to me as well. So I said, well, Eli, let me read to you some of my sermon um, that I'm uh, that, um, uh, that I'm working on here right next to you on patience. And he's going, this is not helping me right now, dad, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, the joys of having a priest for a father, right? And, uh, and so, but, but here's the question. We've all been there, right? We've all been at that place where you, so whatever it is that you're just so frustrated with, and it's so small, and yet it feels big, and it has the ability to shift us. Does God care about that? Does he care? Does he just roll his eyes and go, oh, Really, you're letting this bother you? Or does God actually attend to us in those moments? And can those moments be that we all go through training for something greater? If we can learn how in those real, very frustrating moments, if we can learn how to yield those to God and to, uh, to identify the joy of the gospel that covers us that's even greater than our word processing frustrations, 
then when we start to train ourselves, it's like when you're working out, you start with lighter weights and then you can move to bigger weights. You can lift heavier things and heavier things. And these little things are the training ground for us to be able to, as Paul says, endure suffering like a good soldier or, 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 uh, or face oppression or persecution that is not just some lady with a bad temper backing out, but is real and significant. If we can't handle the small things, how are we ever going to handle the big things? If we can't handle getting cut off in traffic without going blind mad, how are you ever going to be able to handle a cancer diagnosis? So these little things can actually be blessings for us so that we learn how to train our attitudes and our minds and our bodies and let the Holy Spirit lead us in those smaller things as well because you're going to have to have patience with a thousand bad drivers in order to be patient in the face of true suffering. And it's all of this is tied in with the idea of hope, right? If we have hope that suffering is not going to win in the end because Jesus is returning to make all things new, when we can live as people with hope that that we can take all of these things that, that seemingly attack us in small, frustrating ways and yield those. Remember the goodness of the gospel. Remember the patience of God. Remember the, the presence of the Holy Spirit with us and that we can yield those things. And then when we get life-shattering news about ourselves or someone else, and we know we're going to have to endure something with health or finances or job or whatever else that it is that we can say the gospel is good and Jesus is good and he's proven himself a thousand times with the small things. How much more then can he lift this heavy weight of this bigger thing as well? This is why patience is on the list because living with patience lives with a very different perspective. We said that patience is calmness and waiting for something. And sometimes that's waiting for the, the slow service at the restaurant, or sometimes that's waiting for the person to actually go at the, uh, at the green light. Some of that is, yes, living with patience, but ultimately calmness and waiting, what we're waiting for is the redemption of all things. And so as Christians, we're constantly waiting. We're constantly need to be patient because this world is not what it is supposed to be. And that we are, we are living in the already and the not yet in which Christ has brought about the ability for forgiveness to come through repentance and belief. But one day he's going to remove all sin altogether. And we are longing for that day when we won't have to have patience anymore because we all live in Christ-like ways and sin itself is gone and frustration itself is gone and we live in pure unadulterated joy. We're waiting for that patiently always we're waiting as Christians. The word that we have used in a number of our songs already today, Hosanna. The word Hosanna is a patience word because it literally means save us. But it's used in the scripture as a word of praise. So we're praising Jesus or praising God by saying Hosanna. We're praising him by saying, you are the one who saves. And, we, and we're in the, in the immediate moment experiencing hope because we know you're the one who can save us. And it's a, so it is also a recognition that we're still in need of saving. You're the one who can save us. We're waiting for that to come. Hosanna that we sing every week is a patient word. 
as we look for the ongoing and forthcoming work of salvation. But see, here's what's great. In the midst of all of these big things, like these big concepts that we're talking about, the redemption of all things, et cetera, God knows that people are tough to deal with. And you are a people, so you are tough to deal with too. It doesn't just mean everyone else is tough to deal with. You are tough to deal with too. And so there's, in the New Testament, there's, there's a number of times when, when we are told things like this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Do you see how he took that big concept of Jesus saving us from our sins and brought it right into how you're frustrated with the person that's sitting next to you right now? And then he gives it a perspective by going, in light of the fact that Jesus forgave you all of your sins and that you have stolen the glory of God and hurt his creation and hurt other people, and God went so far as to die on the cross to save you for, from your sins, can you look at the person next to you who accidentally offended you and forgive them, right? It's not that he's heaping guilt on you. He's heaping perspective on you. He's not that he's going, can't you do that, right? It's not a sarcastic. It's going, no, truly, like, Let's hold things in proper perspective here. If God forgives you in these things, how much more should we be able to forgive and have patience with others? We need, that's what it means to be Christ-like, right? But he knows that it's hard. So he tells us, bear with one another. Ephesians chapter four, he says, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. That's, so he's, using, he's leveraging the fact that he's in prison for these people. Um, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, eager to maintain the unity. That means not being impatient. That means not being easily offended, right? That means, not, that means not being quick to judge and to be in conflict. It means patience. Patience, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit with patience and bearing with one another in love. How different will the church be from the world as we live into this? Now look, patience doesn't mean never be angry. Angry, uh, anger is an attribute of God. You see him in the scripture getting angry. Um, it just means, remember, long temper. It takes, it takes a long time to build that up, and it's an appropriate expression of that as well. Specifically, we see this in God and in Jesus. Jesus himself got angry. Right? But Jesus, some of, some of the highlights of Jesus' anger, right, is, is his moment in the temple. When he comes up and he sees that that the temple is being desecrated and that there's people out there with tables selling overpriced goods for sacrifice. So they're taking advantage of the people of God and they're mocking God in doing so by, by trying to profit off of what God has commanded them. And so Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus makes a whip out of cords. I want you to hear this. He didn't just go in and be like, oh, I'm suddenly angry and, and, and start running around and flipping over tables. He sat down, found some cords, and started braiding, right? Like, this wasn't just impulsive. He started putting this together. The disciples are like, 
whip, huh? What's going on there, Indiana Jones? Like, how is this? Why is that happening like that? What exactly are you doing? And Jesus is like, like I can't imagine the look on his face because he knew what he was about to do. He wasn't whistling, right? Uh, and, and he put that, and then he started swinging the whip around. Jesus, the long pantene haired Jesus with the bluebird on his shoulder that you see with all the woodland animals around him, right? Is now swinging a whip around. Did he hit people? He might've, right? And he is chasing people out of the temple, physically grabbing the bottom of tables that have pigeons and all kinds of goats and whatever else. On top, and he's turning them over and causing a scene out there. I mean, this is Jesus. And he'd had enough when he saw God being mocked and the people of God being, being oppressed and, uh, and the, the fate of Israel being made a mockery of. He, he lashed out and there was an appropriate, and we, we are told and we believe that Jesus never sinned. So that wasn't a sinful expression of anger. There's an appropriate time for a righteous anger. Or here, here's one of my favorites is when people are bringing folks to him to, to heal and some of them, like they brought him to the disciples and the disciples can't heal them. And then there's all this, people come frustrated to Jesus. They're like, we're bringing people to be healed and they're not being healed. They're complaining about the slow healing service that the divine God who is in the midst of them is bringing, right? Um, and here's Jesus's response in, uh, in Luke chapter nine. He says this, Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? I love the honesty of Jesus in this moment, who is fully God and fully human at the same time, that, that, that his response was to do this. How long do I even have to be with you? He's exasperated, right? I mean, he, he's experienced it because there's, this has been building and there's a place to express that, yes, this is exasperating. This lack of faith, this pettiness that he continues to see is that he's expressing that even though in the midst of his exasperation, he does bring healing and he does bring peace and he does bless others. And if you see a thread that lines through all of when did Jesus get angry, so we know when we should get angry as well, is when God and his people and the church and the, and the work of God is being mocked and torn down. When, the, when there's a righteous anger, because it's righteous, it is that God himself and the name of God is the one who is being threatened. He, he steps out, never, because they've just personally insulted him. When he is taken to the cross himself, he, itself, he never fights back. Like a sheep before his shears, he is silent, the scripture tells us. So when there's a place for us to be angry, but what I'm trying to do here is show you, yes, there's a time when you should be righteously angry. When you read about sex trafficking, you should be righteously angry. If you see someone being abused, you should be righteously angry. But that's not a loophole for you to go, Aha, I can be angry whenever I want to, and I'll just call it righteous anger. What we call righteous anger, what our anger is, is usually prideful anger, defending ourselves and our own agendas and the things that we own that we want for ourselves, not the things of God. And so Jesus can be angry without sinning, but Jesus was not angry because 
when he was riding his donkey, the guy in the donkey in front of him was riding five miles less than he wanted to ride uh, on uh, in, in was below the speed limit. And so that he gets to be on his donkey going, speed it up, man, right? Like, like the things that made Jesus angry were the righteous things of God. And if you think back to the last 10 times you were angry, I bet they were all 10, not about the righteous things of God. Patience is saying, I can ride my donkey a little bit slower. Maybe the guy in front of me has it right. Maybe I need to slow down. So how do we, how do we cultivate patience then quickly? Here's the first thing. Um, impatience and destructive anger is usually learned response, either from what you've observed in, in your own culture. You learned it from your parents. You learned it in your family systems. You, but that can be replaced by the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you then to learn how, how does God deal with his anger? How does Jesus deal with his anger in appropriate ways? And how are they patient? The Holy Spirit can teach you that. And so the first thing you need to do, if you're listening to this and going, yes, I want more of this, is pray for it. Pray for it. Pray every day. Lord, increase patience in my life. And you do that, I promise that you will begin to see changes in your life. I promise you, because if you're longing for it like that, and you're praying for it like that, the Lord is going to begin to work in you, and you'll be aware of things as well, that when you're riding the bumper of the guy in front of you, you go, wait a second, I'm praying every morning not to do this, and you start to leave more space, right? So pray for it. Put yourself in a position to live with patience. In other words, Paul says that we need to treat our bodies in such a way that positions us to best serve the Lord. And so if you're grouchy and grumpy because you didn't, you didn't, you were staying up too late at night, again, watching Ted Lasso, right? Why are you watching Ted Lasso so much? Why is that? Um, that, uh, uh, that, that if you are staying up too late and your blood sugar is low and you're grumpy and you're moving too fast and you are now in a, you've put yourself in a condition where it's very hard for you to respond with patience. And so therefore, go to bed earlier at night. And you're like, wait a second, am I in church and you're telling me to go to bed earlier at night? Yes, because all of our decisions should be shaped by how do we best be in a position to be able to represent and serve the Lord in all things. And that might mean going to bed earlier so you're not grumpy the next day. That's what that means. And the Lord might be calling you to that. He might not be calling you to make a difference in the entire world and save the entire world and be some famous Christian missionary that gets a biography written about you. He wants you to go to bed earlier. That's his job for you so that you can be a blessing in your office the next day instead of a jerk. That's the call for you. That eat well, exercise, train your body so that it is in a position where you can better participate with what the Holy Spirit is doing and slow down, slow down. Dallas Willard said that hurry is the greatest enemy of our spiritual life in our day. How many times when you've been grumpy and lashed out at people, is it because you're in a hurry? Slow down, spend time with the Lord. Listen to this. This is another quote I ran across here that I just thought was so important for us in our culture. Patience is an excellent conscious defense against the frequent minor frustrations of life. Selfish, immature people who give themselves too many rights are constantly plagued with anger, since so many of their rights are violated. Giving up those rights to God and expecting fewer things to be perfect will result in patience, greater humility, less anger, and greater joy in life. So instead of 
instead of looking at things from a, I have rights, I get to do what I want, and everyone else has to do, uh, has to deal with me in doing whatever I want to do, and then feeling frustrated because everyone else is doing that too, and that you can't do that in a society and not everybody be in conflict all the time. Instead, we should pretend or actually just believe the reality that we don't have all the rights that we think that we have. You don't have the right to treat anybody any way you want to because you feel like it in that moment. That is not your right. You don't get to do that. It is not your right to be able to drive anywhere you want to with nobody pulling out in front of you at any time. Not your right. It is not your right to be able to demand on-time service at every restaurant and any moment and the time frame that you want it to be in. That is not your right. So if we don't think all of these things as rights, they're not violations, we can calm down and be patient. Be patient. If someone is rude to you, what have they violated? It's important because they violated human dignity that's found in the image of God. They violated God's design, God's righteousness. And so, yes, it does matter, but your losing your temper will not fix that. What we really long for is everyone to have the mind of Christ, and we can be the first to lead in that charge, the example to bring healing, to, to bring teaching and discipleship instead of reacting out of our own pride and our own agenda, which is what we're receiving from others that's forcing us to be in this state of mind. Let's find our place and our perspective from how God has saved us and has patience with us. So patience comes from a change in heart that is like Christ, putting God's agenda first, his rights before our rights, having a proper perspective on time, treating others with love, having the strength of character that leads to endurance. And so as we're patient in the little things, we can endure long-term suffering and pain. All of this while we wait patiently for the redemption of all things in Christ Jesus. Let's be these people. Let's be this witness to the world. Let's show them the, the godly patience of Jesus Christ and extend that to them as it has been so generously extended to us as well. And our witness to the world will be unmatched. Pray with me. Lord, we pray for patience. We, we pray that we could yield our own pride, our own rights, our own agenda, our own hurriedness, our own anxiousness, and just yield it to you to know your peace and to give that peace. And that when we feel frustrated in our, then our flesh creeps out, let us be aware of that. Let your Holy Spirit convict us of that so that we can apologize to those whom we need to apologize to. We can back off from the bumper of the person who's in front of us. And we can be people of patience so that we can be ultimately aware that every day is a day of waiting until we hear the trumpet sound and you appear. And so let us wait patiently and with confidence and hope that spreads to those around us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.